welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to this week's episode of ELI's People, Places, Planet Podcast. I'm Georgia Ray, and I'm filling in for Ariel King, the Environmental Justice Staff Attorney here at ELI. Back in January of this year, 2022, our Blight Revitalization Initiative for Green Healthy Towns, or BRIGHT, released the BRIGHT Guide, a guide to help communities develop and execute corridor projects in their neighborhoods to produce positive health, ecological, and economic outcomes. Today, we'll be speaking with Scott Wilson Badenoch, Jr., Founder and Executive Director, Alda Yuan, Managing Director and Lead Editor, and Noble Smith, Guide Author and Editor, who played key roles in the development of the Bright Guide. They will share with us more about the guide's contents and how it works, and who could benefit from the guide and how they can get started using it. They will also walk us through an example case study so we can better understand the guide's impact. Scott, Alda, and Noble, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Alda, to get us started, can you give us an overview of the Bright Program at ELI and the Bright Guide? What are the goals of the program and the guide? Sure. The goals of the program is very much in the name. So again, Bright stands for Blight Revitalization Initiative for Green Healthy Towns. The goal is to help foster health, justice, and sustainability through community-led revitalization. Our country has a long history of redlining, exclusionary zoning, and less than stellar environmental enforcement. It's led to an uneven distribution of blight and environmental damage. And of course, black and brown communities are disproportionately affected. And when development bills begin to occur in under-resourced areas, these folks can be pushed out of their homes or the decision-making process. So Bright aims to give these communities the tools to take charge of that process through a corridor project. These are also called area-wide plans. The concept is by taking a corridor or an area-wide view to redevelopment, communities can better account for a variety of needs, reduce the startup costs of revitalizing any one property, and also fund projects like parks and community centers. So Bright works on this problem in two ways. First, through publishing an online guide at thebrightguide.com, which not only provides links and resources, but takes readers step-by-step through the process of designing, funding, and carrying out a quarter project. Second, by working directly with communities in an advisory capacity as they work on these quarter projects. Thank you so much for that information. And Scott, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I'd just say a couple points. Alda um, articulated that very nicely. The One of the things that we really focus on is that any area-wide plan should be community-driven first and foremost. And so this book is written in that regard, um, but it's also written in a way that uh, agencies and nonprofits and interested citizens could facilitate uh, area-wide planning that are not directly members of the community. So um, I think that's really an important part. The other is it's, it's, this is fundamentally a DIY guide. Um, that the world is uh, really focused more on um, sort of self-determination and and figuring things out on your own, going up on on YouTube and watching a video and doing it for yourself. Uh, That's the spirit of this guide. So the communities really don't need uh, a lot of external sources. So this can act as a tool uh, for that effort. Um, And uh, I think critically, we work in anti-gentrification aspects um, because any good area-wide plan needs to be considering 
uh, gentrification from the outset, and rather than allowing it to be an unintended consequence uh, that results from from the project. And we we go into how uh, you can facilitate anti gentrification within the planning. Um, so that's that's all I wanted to add. Yeah, thank you. Those are really important points and very interesting to hear that buzzword of anti-gentrification. So can you talk a little bit more, Scott, about, I know you're the founder and executive director. How did this project get started? Was that the initial goal or have things changed over time? Well, of course, everything changes over time. Um, and the administrations that have come to bear since 2010 have obviously changed the state of things very significantly. Um, in some important ways, but also haven't changed things in some critical ways in that um, the functionality of area-wide planning is uh, just as relevant as ever. And I would, I would posit more relevant than ever. And that's an exciting thing. And that did not really waver during the administrations. So I'll just say in 2010 to the Environmental Protection Agency's great credit, they launched a grant program called uh, uh, area-wide planning grant, which allowed environmental justice communities, and that's disadvantaged communities across the nation, uh, communities of color, low-income communities, indigenous communities that suffer from disproportionate cumulative impacts, that those communities could apply for this area-wide planning grant, which was uh, near $200,000, uh, that would facilitate the community's development of uh, what we keep repeating an area-wide plan. It's also known as a corridor project, which is essentially where you've taken, uh, you focus on a main drag of a community, a really important part of the community, a main thoroughfare where there is a lot of action happening and it's, it's critical to the community. And at the same time, it suffers from a confluence of blighted properties, ground fields, which are toxic, environmentally toxic properties or those that are perceived to be toxic, water infrastructure problems, uh, aging infrastructure of all types, um, joblessness, um, food deserts, et cetera. And um, area-wide planning grants allowed communities to uh, really uh, focus on all of those areas. And most importantly, and I think this was the great wisdom of it and what we, why we've taken it up, is that we've seen for years, especially in the brownfield space, that um, these problems are seen as a sort of whack-a-mole approach where um, agencies or community will really try to solve this one particular problem. But as we know now, problems are very much intertwined and you may solve one problem, but if you don't think about the other integral issues, you may have some also unfortunate unintended consequences. And we've seen that um, get cured by really good area-wide planning, which says, let's open the lens from a one parcel by one parcel basis and look at the whole community and deal with the issues it suffers, um, but also look at the positive upsides. And that's an important part of our bright guide and the chapter on financing look at what your community can bring in, um, in terms of solar uh, um, energy or any number of um, revenue bearing uh, income streams. So the communities are empowered by those sources of money. And those are the sorts of DIY aspects that we've really focused on here. A quick history is that the grant 
went on for several uh, years. And then during the Trump administration, that grant um, mysteriously disappeared. Uh, there's still word that it's sort of coming back in various forms, but we actually found that to be even more important um, for us to continue our work because uh, if EPA is not going to fund those planning grants, um, we wanted to at least provide the wisdom that those communities have found from the various corridor projects that have happened, which is over 80 now across the country, um, that that wisdom could be shared and those best practices could be shared um, even if EPA wasn't really behind it anymore, um, and that there was wisdom to this area-wide planning slash corridor projects um, that we had found at ELI through our research of all these corridor projects, and that we wanted to really facilitate that, um, regardless of any administration support for this type of thing. Very interesting. And you touched on a couple things just then that contributed to the reason the Bright Guide was created in the first place. You talked about the financial side and creating this holistic approach and providing consistency throughout different administrations. So, Noble, I would love to go to you as the editor of the guide and ask, you know, the Bright Guide is composed of eight chapters. What specific topics are covered in this guide? And how does how do these chapters address structural barriers to community-led revitalization? So the eight chapters of the guide are as follows. The corridor project model, stakeholders, mapping, end uses, brownfields, funding, a chapter on case studies, and then a final chapter on additional resources. I think in general, the Bright Guide seeks to address some of these structural barriers to community planning as just being a free access and a resource. I think, as Scott has mentioned earlier, um, the guide seeks to be a resource to both communities and community advocates. So oftentimes communities that have been disadvantaged, that have been divested from need to raise money or funds or resources uh, to get access to these resources or projects um, that are supposed to be in their favor. The Bright Guide seeks to bring those resources directly to those communities as a free, accessible, area-wide planning guide. Uh, the DIY model we really believe in because it allows communities to control their own development. I, th I think we all agree that community development can be a precarious process for unprepared communities. They can be easily taken advantage of. The Bright Guide seeks to put the tools in the hands of the community members themselves. So it seems like this focus on communities is a real pillar of the Bright Guide. Alda, can you talk a little bit more about how the Bright Guide is intended to be used by these communities? Are they the exclusive intended audience? And how does this audience distinguish the Bright Guide from usual approaches to revitalization? Yes, of course. So as we've mentioned up top and throughout, communities really are the intended audience. 
the guide assumes little to no knowledge of development of legal ramifications or funding mechanisms. People should be able to come to the guide with really no knowledge of how revitalization and development are completed and leave with a body of knowledge, right? So the goal is to put power and knowledge into the hands of the people who are most affected by blight and also can be most helped by revitalization. Uh, people in the community know what they need. And I think that really is the approach, the, that really is the part that distinguishes our approach from most types of revitalization attempts, which are more top-down, sort of people or administrations or governments or nonprofits sometimes can assume that uh, they know what communities need, that they definitely need parks. Um, and it may be true that sort of communities need parks, need grocery stores if they're food deserts, but often people in the community know specifically, you know, where should these things be cited? What would be most effective? They have on the ground knowledge. And, but you know, that being said, this isn't a guide that's sort of only targeted towards communities. Obviously, that is the primary audience. That's the way that it's written. That's the way that we've attempted to make certain um, that folks with no knowledge coming into it can actually get the value, full value. Um, but however, you know, we provide resources and links in a way that folks with more knowledge, uh, lawyers, for instance, academics, folks who are engaging in this type of thing through nonprofits should also be able to benefit from the guide. Okay, so if I'm a community member and I am interested in developing a revitalization plan, what's my first step? How do I get started? Well, for me, I think your first step is, you know, meeting with your community. The Bright Guide takes a moment and really sets out the asset mapping and figuring out what your community assets are is a crucial part of area-wide planning. Um, it, in my personal opinion, asset mapping allows for communities to come together and discuss sort of what their common needs are and what their common desires are for their community. Um, it, uh, it provides a place for business leaders, property owners, renters, uh, to come together and really sort of see and interact with each other, as well as develop this sense of community for what can be better and what their neighborhood wants to be. Um, but the Bright Guide itself is located at thebrightguide.com. In addition to asset mapping, the way to bring everyone to into the room to get people at the table talking is a crucial part of the Bright Guide that we talk about as stakeholder management. Uh, Scott, we'll talk a little bit about this. The guide is built for communities once they have had what, what Noble talked about with those critical seminal meetings, or, you know, and, and oftentimes these communities have already had these meetings for years and they know very well what, they're, what they want and what the challenges that they face are. Um, once those meetings have, have been had, the bright guide is yours. Um, that's really the, the perfect time. Although, of course, you could read these things before the guide. Uh, I mean, you know, before you had those meetings and that could facilitate those meetings. But ultimately, um, what the guide was written for is accessing it from any angle, because communities may have built up tremendous capacity in certain categories that the book covers. Um, and not others. 
right? Or they may be at one phase or another. And the truth is area-wide planning and corridor projects, they're not linear. They're often working on a number of tracks that are in parallel that have maybe different timelines. And so depending on a community's capacity and what stage of planning they're at, they might want to jump in at a different chapter. Um, I would say it's probably not going to be the average uh, community that needs to start right at chapter one and read through to chapter eight. It's going to be more like, a, like an encyclopedia where you can reference different sections depending on where you are or depending on, depending on what you need. Um, and that, I think, is a critical aspect of how the guide was, was built and how it can be used most effectively. Yeah, I really like that idea of using this guide most effectively. And in that same vein, can you guys talk me through an example of a community using the Bright Guide um, and really speak to the development and implementation of a specific corridor project? Yeah, I will. So I'll give an example of, of two different corridor projects um, that we were involved in directly. And I will say that um, first, we do uh, as a um, team, help communities where we can um, when they want assistance in developing their own area-wide plan, please reach out to us at bright at eli.org um, and we'd be happy to communicate. Um, so the two examples that I'll bring up now are very different. Uh, one is a rural community in Kentucky and low-income former mining um, rust belt and, and very, very typical to that type of um, community. And, and then uh, Ward 7 in Washington, DC, just, uh, just you know, frankly, a couple train stops from ELI's headquarters in downtown DC. It was a pleasure to facilitate both of those communities. And um, it was, they were very different um, efforts because of uh, the differences in, in the community. So. Rural community like Whitesburg, um, they have far less population and usually more space. So that is makes corridor planning a little bit easier. Um, the ability for them to connect uh, walkways and different uh, forest corridors within the corridor uh, was just a little, little more readily accessible to, as you can imagine, a place like DC where every square foot is, is sort of sought uh, sought after, and and um, there is really a very fixed boundary uh, to how much space you have. Um, so the Whitesburg, Kentucky corridor, which uh, we hosted uh, some of the leaders of that area-wide planning um, team in the community on a uh, um, a panel at ELI that I'm sure we'll link to uh, at the bottom of the podcast. Uh, that was really fantastic and it showed the power of um, the process where a community comes together, the various stakeholders <clears throat> that are required to really have an honest sort of assessment of what an area-wide plan can be, come together and they use the mapping techniques that we outline in our chapter on mapping. Um, and visually at the end of the process, they can see um, on a map, the areas that they need to address and the upside areas, the upside, the area where they can yield revenue and they can, um, as, as uh, Noble talked about, as they can you know, see where their assets are. And the process of doing that was a couple of things. One, it was illustrative and it helped them understand what 
they could do, but also it showed seriousness to agencies and funders. Um, it said, wow, this community is really, really uh, you know, serious about what they're doing. They have a great model. It's vetted by the EPA itself, right? This is not crazy thinking, and it's been done 80 other times uh, across the country. So, so it's vetted as a, as a model. And, um, and look what they're showing us um, on this map. Look what's possible. And before you know it, Whitesburg was able to start knocking off some of the low-hanging fruit that had been identified in the planning process. Um, and so to, to date, a number of their parcels that they identified in that process have been transformed from blight um, to productive end uses. And they've had, uh, it was really beautiful to see a lot of, of, of really serious sort of news coming to visit and, and show this transformation. Um, the transformation also did another thing, which was change the mindset of the whole community. They had been dealing with blight all over, all you know, sort of every other block. There's something to remind them of the former in industrial sort of success that they had generations ago and it hadn't been cleaned up and has been sort of left for dead. And they had become resigned to it, that, that these sorts of ugly eyesores are just part of the way it is and they're never going to change. But when suddenly a couple of them transform very significantly, the community starts realizing it doesn't have to be that way and they can start transforming everything else. And there's an energy and Whitesburg is really still riding that energy and, and um, doing some really transformative things. Our project in um, Ward 7 of DC, along the Nanny Helen Burroughs uh, Avenue, the community was incredibly vibrant, is incredibly vibrant, um, and really, you know, has a lot going for it. It also really has been left out in the, in the infrastructure spending uh, for years and years and years. And it's also a, a sort of very glaring food desert. Um, and so the community uh, struggles with, with the things that we've, we've been discussing. Most of these communities do. Um, when we put the area-wide plan together along with the community and a whole coalition of stakeholders, um, we were now able to secure the EPA uh, planning grant. And that just proved to us that you didn't need EPA to do this, so you know, bless them. And when they fund the grant, it's great for a community. But but ultimately, you didn't you didn't need them. You this was DIY, and we were thrilled to see that that really helped. But one example of of success, and you know, I'll just note that area-wide planning is sort of anchored by brownfields and the EPA's sort of brownfield program, um, which is you know environmentally toxic properties. Um, that in the DC effort, uh, we were able to identify. Um, that there was a brownfield that they were working on. The D city of DC had a, an agency had decided to clean up and transform for productive end use. And through our area-wide planning, we were able to facilitate that agency to see that several parcels over, there were some other issues that would have been triggered had the redevelopment not factored them in. And um, you know, there's a lot more details to that, but the, the real point is when you open your lens and begin area-wide planning on that sort of area scale, you start to see things you miss when you're in that parcel by parcel basis. So the process in, in the urban setting in DC was very different. The types of owners, the amount of parcels, um, the amount of industry, the different um, sort of structures that were there. It's a much more complex area-wide plan. 
than the Whitesburg, Kentucky one, um, but suffering from pretty much the same list. If you just distill down the list of issues, they're very, very similar. And we noted that across when we did the longitudinal study of all 80 plus corridor projects that, the, that EPA had funded, we found it was shocking how similar that list of things was. And that was really telling because whenever you have a pattern of problems, you also really can develop a sort of system of solutions and an integral approach. And that's what area-wide planning is. And that's what we're thrilled to facilitate communities to do for themselves. So it seems like you've been very successful in creating that system that you just talked about through this Bright Guide. But what is next for the Bright team? Now that you have this guide, you've had these couple of successful case studies, I'm sure more that you haven't mentioned, where do you go from here? So first for the online guide, it's very much a living document. Our plan for the rest of 2022 is to continue to build out the guide online. There are always resources being created. It's very much a dynamic area. And we might very much want to collect feedback from communities who are using the guide itself in order to make improvements. We're hoping to make this website more accessible over time, to add definitions, to make it even easier to use for people who are coming in with little to no knowledge existing. In terms of Bright as a whole, as the world continues to open up post-pandemic, we're planning to reach out to former partners and think about starting or in, essentially encouraging uh, more corridor projects and to do sort of more of the on-hand, hands-on and on-the-ground advising that Scott talked about. So for our listeners, if you know we have interested community members or even just people who want to learn more, where should they go? Anyone who's interested in area-wide planning and the Bright Guide in general, please visit thebrightguide.com, all spelled out. Again, it's thebrightguide.com. And our team at Bright is always ready to hear from you. Um, if a community is, is engaging in area-wide planning and they want some help or they want to tell us something or they share best practices or they want to tell us about something that went terribly wrong and they want to help communities avoid doing that same sort of thing, email us, please. Our email is bright at eli.org. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, as Aldo said, it's a living document. So... As the years go by and more successes are rendered, we're going to continue to update the site with multimedia, et cetera. So please send us uh, everything you've got um, to bright at eli.org. Great, I'm sure you will be getting some emails and some new visits to your site. Well, thank you all for being here today. I really enjoyed learning more about the Bright Guide and just your efforts in general and wishing you all the best in your your product moving forward. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at eli.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.